morning again. So it's uh, my privilege this morning to preach to you from the parable of a sower. So this is a fairly familiar passage, I hope, for most of you. And so when I grew up in Malaysia, um, I came to know the Lord at the age of 15. Uh, my parents and I started attending this local church, this really small community church, about 50 people or so. And so as we attend weekly, I have this routine that, you know, I'm sure some of you have as creatures of habit. I like to sit at a specific position of, in, in, in the church. And so every Sunday when we go to church, I would sit right at the back and where all the cool kids are, basically. So it's cool to sit at the back. That's right, Stephen. And, um, and worse still, right? So there's this particular chair that I like because it's next, it's, the chair's right in front of a pillar. And so as you can imagine, it's, um, it's great for me to sit there. And so as we start worshiping, you know, I would participate. And then comes the sermon as we all sit down. You know, I would get myself comfortable. And then you know what happened next. Because as my head is lying on that pillar, slowly but surely, you know, my eyes gets heavier. And so I would fall asleep regularly on, on Sunday morning. And my parents who were next to me would often try to wake me up, you know, would give me that elbow, it's like, wake up, you know, and, and I remember one time, this was a very vivid uh, moment, so I remember one time as I was falling asleep, I fell into deep sleep, and I started dreaming, and then I don't recall my dream, but for some reason, I was startled, you know, in the dream, and it sort of, I sort of woke up, you know, in the middle of the sermon, and I stood up, and I made a scene. <laughs> and so as you can imagine, the embarrassment I would like to hide, you know, at that point in time. Obviously, everyone was looking at you. There was only 50 of us, and, and it's in this small little house, so everyone can see that. And my parents, as you can imagine, the, the embarrassment, you know, <laughs> of someone just making a scene in the middle of a sermon, waking up, you know, from, from his sleep. And so it was terrible. I wanted to hide, you know. And then after the end of the service, you know, one of the elders came and talked to me. And so there you go. You know, he said, you know, as he was talking to me, he said that, you know, one of the signs of falling asleep on Sunday morning is a lack of spiritual growth. And I was, okay, think about that. I will try not to do it again. You know, and fast forward to today, as you think about it, here I am standing in front of you, you know, looking ahead in a congregation looking at all the eyes, looking at who is paying attention, looking at who is hearing the word, right? I can tell you that I'm glad that we don't have a pillar because that is not going to save you, all right? That is not going to save you because I can see everyone here and I can tell who is falling asleep, who is paying attention, all right? So bear with me as, as we go to the um, parable of a sower, and I think that this is a great passage, passage and it's really appropriate, too, as we think about what Jesus is saying in this passage. You know, I don't know why people fall asleep in church. Sometimes, you know, it may very well be a lack of spiritual growth. But for others, it could be a condition, right? You know, you could have a health condition, or you could have taken medication. Or perhaps, you know, you have worked so hard throughout the week that you are struggling, you know, to stay awake. So there's all kinds of reasons. So falling asleep in church may be a terrible thing to some of us, but I think it is less concerning 
than those who may be physically awake in church, who may be physically awake every week in church, but their souls are in deep sleep. You know? Their souls are in deep sleep the whole time. They may be looking and watching and perhaps, you know, have the uh, assumption that, that they are hearing, but yet, you know, are they really hearing? You know, sometimes you wonder if people are, are listening, are paying attention, people are responding to the word of God. And so the passage that we're dealing with today, the parable of a sower, it's a great passage that speaks to us about the different types of responses of the people to the word of God. You know, regardless of who you are and what stage of life you are in, you know, and regardless of the maturity that you have uh, in your Christian faith, we all fall into one of these categories of response. And so let's dive into this passage. You know, let's start by talking about the story here. All right, so the parable of the sower is told not only in Luke's gospel, but also in Matthew and Mark. And seeing the different people that wanted to hear from him, Jesus, you know, decided to speak to them in a parable. So in this parable, we have a sower who went out to sow some seeds. Now, it may seem that to us that this sower is not very good at his job because seeds were tossed all over the different grounds, right? Some, you know, fell on, on hard ground, some fell on rocky ground, and still some fell among the thorns, and finally some fell on good soil. Uh, but if you have any experience with gardening or yard work, you know how important it is to sow on good soil because this is you know, where you would likely have the best chance of success where growth can happen. But of course, if you, you know, as, as you think about planting and growing, you want to find the best soil, the best condition, the best environment to do so, you know, because this is the best for growth. Unless, of course, you are like me, you know, I am terrible at yard work, I'm terrible at gardening. I don't think I've ever kept anything alive other than my kids and my dog. So, there you go. So it's terrible, you know, for me in gardening. But that being said, you know, when we look at this passage, there are some seeds that fell on, on good soil with good nutrients, and this is the most conducive to the seeds. And this is where, you know, I think all of us are aiming to it. The seed grew so well that it ultimately produced 100 times more at the harvest. And then Jesus abruptly ended the story by by giving out this warning in verse 8. 8 said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, what, what do we make of this story? You know, what's Jesus trying to teach the crowd? What is he trying to teach us? You know, for many of us, this is a familiar parable, as I've said earlier. You know, in our understanding, some of us may, may think that Jesus is clearly describing the difference between believers and non-believers, judging by his description of the source. You know, there are some truth in it. You know, this is a passage that, that speaks about salvation. But I think that there's also an oversimplification to say that this is just a passage that talks about those who are of faith and those who are not of faith. You know, one pastor said that those who understand this parable in such a way go around trying to look at people's lives to determine if they are truly Christians or not. They become professional fruit inspectors you know, with their checklists and guidelines of how truly Christians will behave. If the person doesn't behave that way, then they must be the fourth soil. 
and so must not have eternal life. But as we dive into this passage, there is so much more that Jesus is getting in about this parable. You know, there's so much about this parable that Jesus is wanting us to hear and understand. You know, that yes, it does speak about salvation, but it also speaks about fruitfulness. You know, what it means for Christians to live in the kingdom of God, to be fruitful, to bear fruit. All right? So as we talk about the story, now we move to the purpose. Why is Jesus giving this parable? Now, immediately after Jesus told the parable, his disciples came to him and asked him, what is the meaning of it? Notice that only the disciples came to him to ask for clarification. And so Jesus said in verse 10, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, in order to understand what Jesus meant by this, you know, by, by this, this quote here, we have to go back to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah 5 described a vineyard, and this vineyard represents Israel, God's chosen people. You know, God is the vine dresser, and he came to till the land, clay of rocks, and plant the best grape vine possible. He also built watchtowers and fences to keep animals away, to keep enemies away. And God did all of that expecting that this vineyard to produce a bountiful harvest of good grapes. But instead, this vineyard only yield wild bitter grapes. And therefore, God let the vineyard be a wasteland. He removed the hedge and the wall and let it be attacked. He allows the ground to be trampled. He does not prune the land and allows briars and thorns to grow on it. He kept the rain from watering the plant, from watering the land, sorry. And God, seeing the hearts of his people, commissioned Isaiah the prophet and sent him to preach his word to them, to the people in Isaiah 6. However, God knows that not everyone will respond to God's word because some hearts have become dull and callous, judging by the description of this vineyard. You know, they are like the vineyard that has become a wasteland because it does not produce good food. And as such, in Isaiah 6, 9, came the verse that Jesus quote in, this, in his parable. He said, go and say to his people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. So Jesus quote this verse in this parable to describe the kind of people whose hearts are hardened to the preaching of God's word. They are like Israel who have grown cold to the Lord and therefore does not respond to his word. They are those who see but do not perceive. They're those who hear, but do not understand. And the result of this ultimately is judgment. Now, God allows Israel to become a wasteland and desert, with the people being exiled from the land except for a tenth of the people who remain in Israel and continue to be the recipient of his promise. And so Jesus, taking from Isaiah 6, uses this same principle to teach those around him. Now, he said the reason he spoke in parable, first of all, is because some will get it and some won't. You know, Jesus' explanation, according to Phil Riken in his commentary, challenges the conventional wisdom of understanding a parable. You know, people usually think of parables as stories, right? Stories that helps make um, a, a, 
a lesson, easier to understand. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. Now, that is not, according to Jesus, that is not the purpose of a parable. Now, sometimes a parable actually prevents people from understanding the kingdom of God. And the stories are easy to follow, but the meaning, it's much harder to discern. And so we see the dual purpose of a parable. For some, it is a gift to teach the mystery of living in the kingdom of God. It is understanding. For some, it is understanding of what it means to live in God's kingdom. It stirs them to recognize their own sins, to call them to repentance. As for others, it becomes a curse, a judgment against hardened hearts of people who dismisses or reject the teachings because they do not understand it. They do not want to hear it. And that's, that is why God spoke in parables. And this is true for all who faithfully proclaim God's word today, you know, whether you're a pastor or evangelist or anyone who shares his faith or her faith. You know, not everyone, as you may already know this, not everyone will respond to you the same, in the same way. Not everyone will respond to God's word and commands in the same way. Some do not respond at all. And others may respond in one of the three ways, according to the parable. And so let's dive into the explanation then. You know, Jesus explained in verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. While he doesn't explain who the sower is, from the immediate context, we, we know that it is Jesus himself. But as I said, this also applies to anyone today who preaches or teaches the word, anyone who speaks the truth about the gospel to their friends and family members. The sower is responsible to sow seeds. As he or she does so, the seeds do sometimes fall on different grounds. And as the sower, we are not responsible on whether the seeds fall on the right ground or not. We are not responsible to see how fruits are being produced or not. We cannot make that happen. So the pressure is not on earth to produce because Jesus made it clear that there are different responses to hearing God's word, right? But the pressure is on us to sow the seeds. We're simply called to sow. We're simply called to share the word, to preach the word, to teach the word. That is our responsibility. And let God deal with the result of that responsibility. So we're called to bring the word to all people out there, regardless of of their background, regardless of how they look, regardless of who they are. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to try to make generalizations of the different grounds, the different soils that Jesus explained to us. You know, the first soil is the unbeliever, right? The second and third could be the nominal believers, and the last is the true Christian believer. You know, like I said earlier, such categorization and generalization is not wrong. The parable thus speaks about hearing God's word that leads to salvation, but it also speaks a lot to fruitfulness of living a fruitful life in the kingdom of God. What does that look like? You know, this may sound controversial to you, but I do believe that the four grounds, the four soils that Jesus spoke about can apply to Christians and non-believers. Sometimes in a Christian life, we may fall into one of this categorization 
depending on the circumstances that we're in. You see, in the first soil, you have a hard ground, which represents hardened hearts. Now, this ground has been trampled by food and of all kinds of carriages in those days, as you think about how people would walk on those grounds and how they would have carriages over those grounds. So it's a hard ground. It's, a, it's, it's really hard, you know, and thus seeds that are, are sown or perhaps seeds that fall on these grounds merely just bounce us off and swept aside. And worse still, the birds, which represent Satan, are quick, as Jesus says, to pounce on any loose seeds on the ground. Well, what does that mean? It means that, you know, every time the word of God is preached, this hard ground, which represents hardened hearts, are not receptive to God's word. The people with such hearts are not interested. They are indifferent to his word. And then there's also Satan, who's quick to prevent the word from taking into effect. You know, when the word is preached, Satan will do his best to keep people from believing and, or understanding it. So when you apply this in our world today, you know, we see examples from all over. You know, many out there today are agnostic to the gospel. They do not believe in God. They do not want to believe in anything about Christianity. They are opposed to, to Christianity. Many are disinterested and disinterested. Many ridicule the word and those who believe it. But you may be surprised that there are people in the church whose hearts are similar as well. You know, they hear the sermon in one ear and let it out the other. The word that they heard is not acted upon, not believed, not lived out in their lives. Now you may be quick to say that such a person may, was not even a believer in the first place. But don't be quick to make the assumption because we, you and I, need to examine our own selves. We need to examine our own hearts because have we lived out God's word in our life? Have we ever failed to act upon God's word? Have we failed to, to hear God's word and live it out? You know, I'm going to let you answer that question on your own. And then the second soil, Jesus explained that this represents rocky ground and shall, or shallow hearts. Now, these hearts are those who hear the word of God and receive it with joy, but they have no roots. And at the time of hardship and testing, they fall away. You know, in, in gold, we often hear the refining process of putting it through fire so that ultimately all the impurities would be removed and the gold is pure, right? You know, such process is also true, is also true for a believer and a follower of Christ. God put trials and hardships in our lives to refine us, to make us pure. But in the process, it also reveals the impure. You know, there are those who are quick to respond to God's word, but suffer a setback, setback when things are hard, when things are difficult. You know, they reject God and no longer desire to follow him. Now, this could happen to, to those who may not have experienced true conversion in the first place, right? Where we say that, yeah, they may not be believers in the first place if they rejected God. That is true. You know, they come to Christ with all the excitement and joy, perhaps with a false sense of assurance that the Christian life is an easy life, is an easy, trouble-free life. But you and I know that is not the case. 
And so when trouble comes, these rootless faith wither away. However, there's also a sense that this too, this too may happen to Christians in this way. You know, it may happen to Christians who suffer momentary lapses. You know, those who fail in a period of spiritual, those who fall in a spiritual, in a, in a spiritual dullness or disobedience in a period of time. You know, think of the Apostle Peter as an example. You know, think of him. How often does his overenthusiasm and zealousness come back to bite him? You know, as Christians, we all go through hardships, whatever kinds of hardship they may be, persecution, you know, or, or illnesses, terminal illnesses, or perhaps, you know, special needs children or any forms of disability. We all go through hardships, and sometimes we find ourselves struggling to believe God's goodness. So we live in a period of anger, of frustration. We live in a period of doubt. Do we all experience that as Christians? Yes, we do. But eventually, to the nurturing of God's word and prayer, you know, our faith grows deeper as we learn to endure hardships. And so do not be quick to think that such and such a person who exhibit, you know, um, who, who lack the roots, who lack the maturity, you know, is not a believer. We have to ask ourselves that question. We have to continue to examine our hearts too. And then in the third soil, Jesus said the seeds that fell among the thorns are those who heard the word, probably believe it, but at the same time preoccupied with life's worries and riches and pleasures. The third soil is a third ground is a thorny ground, which represents divided hearts. Now, these thorns are things that we come to know and love and care deeply. But you probably know where I'm going on this. You know, this is perhaps the most dangerous of the three because this seeds, these seeds represent most of the Christians today. Now, God has given us great pleasure of this world. He's given us wealth and resources. He has continued to provide for us greatly. Now, we think about all the good things like health, family, wealth, work, and sports. Now, you and I know what great comfort it is to live in this area, to live in, this, in the triangle. You know, people here work hard, but they also play hard. You know, people here know how to enjoy their lives well, know how to care for their physical health, know how to find things to invest in their children. And these are all great things, right? Don't get me wrong. These are all great things. These are great things to be enjoyed, but the problem with many of us is that we not only enjoy them, we end up idolizing them. We make idols out of everything good that comes from God, and so we begin to find ourselves distracted or divided in our hearts. You know, Jesus says it well. No man can serve two masters. And he's right. You know, we, have, we can't have different gods in our lives. We've seen the terrible consequences of it throughout the Bible. Right? And when God gives us the, the, the Ten Commandments, he said, you know, you shall not have any gods before me. What is God saying? He's not saying, okay, fine, worship me, but then first, and then go ahead and worship other things. No, he's demanding exclusivity. He's saying, 
Worship me alone and nothing else. Worship me only and nothing else. You cannot mix it together. You cannot set priorities. God first and then all these other things that I worship later. No. God demands exclusivity. Only Him. You know, it doesn't work for you to to mix God up with other things. And we see that this is the problem for many people, Christians and non-believers. How many times do we find ourselves distracted by all the things around us, preoccupied by all the things around us? No, we experience the same thing as anyone else. And so God says, either you follow him or you don't. You can't follow him and other things around. But when you do follow him, when you do follow him only, when you do set your heart's right to worship him alone, then you will begin to have a right perspective of all the good things that that he provides. You understand that you are stewards of his good gifts and you place them under the authority of God. And so finally, we come to the fourth soil, which represents good soil and good hearts. You know, a good heart is not a hardened heart that bounces off God's word or easily snatched by Satan. And a good heart has deep roots and able to endure the trials of life. A good heart is not easily distracted or swayed, that it gets choked by all the thorns of this world. You know, Jesus said good hearts are those who hear the word of God, obey it, and then produce fruit as evidence of their faith. Now, this is the heart that God wants from his people, but it doesn't come instantaneously. It requires work. And you and I know how hard it is, you know, to be a Christian, to live in this world, to continue to live, to hear God's word, and to do God's will. It is hard work. But it starts with God, all right? God has to do the work in your heart. He has to till our hardened hearts, removing the rocks around us, pulling out all the thorns in our lives so that our hearts is ready to hear and to do his word. But there is also the work for the Christians, ones whose heart have been changed. There's the hearing of God's word. We have to continue to hear God's word. And we also have to continue to do God's word. Now, the hearing and the doing is anagalous. They come hand in hand. And so how do we try to apply all of this in our lives today? You know, as we look at the application of the parable, we, we need to look at the remaining verses from these two passages that follows the parable. We must remember that the preaching of, of the word is never the problem. You know, it was never the problem for the sower to sow seeds or for God to preach the word. Instead, the problem comes from hearing. Now, we talk about how hearing is a gift of God. God has to change our heart in order for us to hear. However, however, hearing can be sought. Hearing can be desired. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't say in verse 18, take care how you hear. It, has, it can be sought. Now, if you desire to hear the word of God, to know his word, ask God to help you. Ask God to work in your heart to produce a soil that is receptive 
to the seed of his word. Ask God to move away the stones that shielded you. Ask God to move away the thorns that distracted you in your life. Ask God to move in your heart, to, to change your heart. Ask God to work in that. So hearing can be sought. And for those who truly hear the word of God, also comes the response to the word. You know, Jesus, when asked about his family members, he said, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word and do it. Now, how do you respond to God's instructions, his call, his challenge for you? You live it out by holding on to the word and you bear fruit with it, as Jesus said. You know, he said in verse 16 that no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or, put it, or puts it under a bed. Instead, it is put on a stand so that all who enters may see the light. You know, Jesus is declaring to us that the connection between fruit and light. You know, as Christians, you ought to produce fruit because you have the light of the gospel in you. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus called good deeds as light. Good works. So you see the correlation. Fruit, light, good works. They are all sim- the same thing. And then Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says, now that you are a believer, that you have the light of the gospel in you, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, fruitfulness is doing God's work, is doing good works among people so that they would recognize that you belong in the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes as, as Christians, you know, we often think of good works as such a bad word, right? Because we are saved by grace, not by works. We place so much emphasis on what God does for us that we don't talk enough about responsibility to live in God's kingdom. You know, Martin Luther said this himself. He said, oh, this faith is a living, busy, active, powerful thing. It is impossible that it should not be ceaselessly doing that which is good. It does not even ask whether good works should be done, but before the question can be asked, it has done them, and it is constantly engaging in doing them. But he, he who does not do such works is a man without faith. Now God cares about how we apply what we have learned, what we have heard from him. And that's why he places us in this world, to live it out. Let your light shine in this world through your good works as Christians. And what are examples of these good works? I'm glad you asked. James says, 127, James 127 said, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. So participating, you know, in the work of mercy or care is a type of good work. Now, as you continue to think about more examples in your life, I know the Bible does not give you every single example, but what it does is to give you principles for you to be able to take these principles and apply it and apply how these good works work. So God has given us timeless truths and principles such as this. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
bearing with each other's burdens, forgiving each other, teaching each other, speaking truth at all times. Now, these are timeless principles that we can use to help us think through daily how we can bear good works as his fellow, as his fellow followers. As we think about hearing, God wants us to produce fruits. He wants us to produce good works as we live in this world. And then comes the final aspects of, of what this good works looks like. You know, another aspect of the work that Jesus talked about upon hearing the word of God is the proclamation of the gospel. Now, earlier we learned that the purpose of the parable is to reveal the word to some, while at the same time to conceal truth from others. However, the fact that not everyone will respond to the word of God does not negate our responsibility to proclaim his word in word and deed. In fact, he goes on to say in the passage that nothing that is hidden will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. This means that the mystery of God's word, you know, to some, this means that though God has concealed his word to some, but that will not always remain that way, according to his will. Those who have hardened hearts may not always remain hardened because God can change them through the preaching of his word. Those who doesn't hear the word, the hardened hearts may not always remain the same. What is important for us is not to limit ourselves thinking that such a person doesn't need the gospel because he or she will never come to faith based on my assessment of them. Instead, God calls us to take what he has given to us and made it known far and wide. What was previously concealed can be made known. And so it depends on the sowers, depends on all of us to take those seeds and to plant them in whatever ground that we are in, in wherever we are. Because God is the one that ultimately changes the heart. God is the one that works on the ground to change us. And so as we consider this parable, you know, there's so much perhaps, you know, that you're thinking right now. You're asking this question, what kind of soil am I? What kind of heart do I have? Am I hardened to the gospel? Do I seek to mature in my faith? Am I preoccupied by all the things around me? Do I live out myself in, this, in, in his word and deed as a believer? Now, these are important questions that you all have to ask yourselves and examine yourselves. Now, I encourage you to read over this parable again, to meditate on these words, pray over it. And regardless of where you are, we all need God to give us the heart to believe, to hear. At the same time, we also need him to continue to help us to hear his word and to do his work. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for the parable of the sower as a timely reminder of our own lives. Lord, I pray that, that I do not know everyone in this room. I do not know their story. I do not know where they are in their, in their journey. I do not know what they're thinking, but you do. And I pray, Lord, even as as your word have been preached, 
I pray, for Lord, that their hearts will be softened, that those who are caring hardened hearts, Lord, will be softened by your word. Those whose hearts are, are preoccupied, Lord, by, by the things around them, Lord, that those who hearts who are distracted, Lord, Lord, that you would help them to focus in you. Those hearts who doubt, who are struggling because of troubles and persecutions and, and sufferings in their life, I pray, Lord, that you would comfort them and assure them. And Lord, as we all aim towards the good heart that you have set for us, I pray, Lord, that you help us to know that this is something that requires continuous work. It, start, it started with you, but at the same time, we are participants in it too, and we are called continuously to hear the word and to do the work of God. So let us who have ears hear. Lord, I pray that you help us to hear, to take care of what we hear, and to do your work, Lord. I thank you, and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.